Hey guys, I'm Alex Agron, and this is the Private Equity Technology Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Private Equity Technology Podcast. I'm Alex Agron here with co host Lisa Weaver Lambert. It's been a while, uh, but we're back. It's a brand new year, and we're ready to talk tech due diligence, which is a topic that we've covered a couple different times. I think it's always a relevant topic because they're the, the, the folks that are doing the tech due diligence are really at the forefront of how technology is creating value in private equity owned companies today. And this one is a bit unique in that we're talking to a firm called Code & Co. This is a European-based technology diligence company. We have not talked specifically to a European-focused firm. And we today we welcome in the founding partners, Dan Bender and Lucas Ingelheim from Code & Co. Guys, welcome. Say hello. Hi there. Thank you for having us. If you would briefly tell us uh, about Code & Co., what do you guys specifically do? Right. Happy to do that. Um, yeah, again, thank you for having us. Code & Co., and the name does give it away already a little bit. We like tech, and we are an independent advisory firm, and we're specialized in advising global funds in on tech and product due diligence. And uh, we do this, we've been doing this for the past seven years. We operate out of Berlin, Germany, but we work globally quite a bit with US funds, for example, but also MENA, um, UK, of course, and, and Asia. Um, and uh, I think what sets us apart is that we aim to function as translators, translators between the worlds of tech and product and business and finance. Because in, in private equity, as you as you know, there are many stakeholders in, in every deal, right? There's there's a deal team that you work with. There are other advisors as part of the deal. For example, open source is a topic that's both interesting from a legal and a tech perspective. Um, and then there's the IC that the team has to go through. And then there's secondary stakeholders such as lenders and WI insurers. And our goal is that our work product, which is a modern and holistic tech and product due diligence report, answers the questions that each and every stakeholder may have to, well, really make a positive investment decision. Thanks for that intro. Let, let's start with a topic that is of interest to me. Is there a big difference between, and given that you guys work with US firms and European firms, is the tech diligence markedly different in any way uh, in Europe versus the United States? Is it further along in one place or the other? Are there things that you're looking for in one place or the other? What's uh, what's the difference between the two, if any? Right, I think it's an interesting question. And uh, I think on the one hand side, the um, tech the market in the US tends to be a bit more mature in the sense that um, doing tech due diligence alongside you know commercial and tax and legal and all that other stuff um, has been around for longer than in Europe, but Europe is, you know, not like far behind, but it's, I would assume that in the US, um, you know, in, in Europe, sometimes we have calls with funds and they're like, hey, this is the first tech that we're doing, right? And we're kind of explaining the concept in the, in the US. US there's still, wait, you're, you, there's still funds that are doing this for the first time? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Especially when when you're doing not just tech, you're not a tech first investor, but you also do like you know tech enabled investments, right? Yep. Then you're kind of easing into this idea of that tech is the a core, a primary value driver, right? And therefore, 
you know, if, if the services bit was bigger than the tech enabled bit, then maybe so far you've gotten away without doing a tech ED, but this changes, right? And, and everybody understands that tech is a big decision maker or a difference maker, apologies. And, and, and therefore um, more and more funds do it. And, and I think, but yeah, but there are funds that do it for the first time. And uh, it's, we're happy when they find us because we aim to ensure that the work product that we deliver, it does not require a CS degree. You know, I'm sure you're happy. You'll, you'll look like a hero. You'll be a hero. <laughs> well, we try to be try to be supportive. Yeah, yeah. Dan, how does your work then stack up um, against the advisory firms? What was the gap in the market you saw? Because the advisory firms are moving rapidly into this space as well, and also the commercial diligence typical firms that P go to um, are trying to get into tech diligence and have you know, partners that do that. So, so how, how have you created your space in the market? What's made you different? Excellent question. I think the key difference is what I said in the beginning. This is why it's so important to us. Uh, we try to not be smarter than anyone else that are in the room. Like everybody um, that is part of these conversations has achieved something quite remarkable, right? The private equity guys are smart. The companies they're auditing, the fact that a PE talks to them in order to invest in them means they've you know built a successful organization, right? So and and um I think we just try to add value in a sense that we try to understand as much as we can and and aim to be forward looking and, and quite uh, constructive. And we've seen we kind of stumbled in, into this industry. A friend of ours actually who's an MA advisor, he was raising funds for the startup in Berlin, like a Series B, Series C kind of situation. He was like, guys, you, you speak both tech and business, and I kind of don't really understand what they're doing here. Can you help me translate? And this is how this whole quote-unquote thing was born. And and uh, in the past seven years, we built it into a you know small boutique firm that, that focuses on exactly that, understanding tech and helping people and, and translating this into something that investors care about, which is their investment hypotheses, right? And And... And I think that's that's a key difference. So we try to be modern, we try to be holistic, and also quite importantly, we don't aim to deliver an ITDD, right? In the end, it doesn't matter whether you use Java or JavaScript or Ruby or whatnot, right? It's 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 about can you deliver on your on your core value proposition? Are there hiring constraints or so, right? The actual technology is not that important. And and so we try to take a fairly commercial view. So we dive deep, but then dive back up in order to answer questions from a commercial perspective, which is the perspective that the investor cares about more than the pure tech perspective. Doesn't it kind of matter if you're using Ruby, though? <laughs> just a well, I'm a person. I'm a huge fan of fan, a huge <laughs> fan of Ruby. So. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, obviously, there's, there's. I think that's a you're raising. I mean, you were joking, but this is this is a good point, right? In the end, there's um, there's specific technology for specific use cases, right? And our job is to understand: is the technology in use able to, you know, help the company continue to grow in the future? And and that's that's what we Absolutely. get excited about. Yeah, there's 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 so many other things too, right? In in certain markets, the talent that's available, although now with a lot of people okay with the stay at home, you can find talent in anywhere in the world really and now nowadays Absolutely. right it's you're not just saying hey we're in chicago and there's a big dot net market here and so i'm gonna build that way because i can find the talent you can go anywhere now to get to talent it's really kind of it it's almost become to the point you're making less important 
uh, because you right. can go global and find uh, people to help. I'd love to get into the talent in your business. So what is the operating model? Do you have fixed term employees? Do they do consulting work as well? Or do you subcontract? Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, we don't subcontract. And maybe that's another differentiator to others. Um, we figured um, we've seen reports from others that, that are known to subcontract and, and some of which are amazing, some, some of which not so much. And, and we just said, we are a boutique firm and we aim to build relationships with, with the funds we work with. And this works really well. I mean, we've sort of like a 100% wallet share um, uh, with many of our funds. So, so we built like really trustful relationships with them. And I think one of the key things why we are able to do that is because they want to talk to, to Lucas or David or Andrew or, or myself and, and they reach out and they get us on the line, you know, and it's not just, you know, freelancers that then deliver on this project. So um, we have a dedicated team. The team is spread out and because we're remote first and yeah, but that's us. <laughs> let's, let's talk about just tech diligence itself for a moment for folks that aren't familiar with it. We've talked about it, like I said, in the, in the beginning, we've talked about this topic a couple of different times for people that might be tuning in first, not, not so familiar with tech diligence. Can you give an overview and let's, let's keep it from what we've, what we'll call a tech enabled business versus a software business. Cause we do try our audience. Uh, we're, we're really trying to teach people a bit about what from a technology perspective, where value creation uh, lies in the portfolio companies and folks that are running software firms kind of get it already, right? So that's why we, we talk more tech-enabled. So from a tech-enabled perspective, when you guys are doing tech diligence, maybe just the high-level bullets of what an engagement looks like for you guys in terms of the, 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 the boxes that you're looking to check, the conversations that you're looking to have, uh, and, and where you're uncovering the value for your clients. Right. Um, so I think if I were to summarize TechD in a nutshell, I would say it's about identifying opportunities and risks, right, that may impact asset valuation and but also hopefully accelerate growth. So we look at three things, or actually three plus one things we always say, tech, product, organization capabilities, and then the plus one thing is situation specifics. So what does this mean? Um, product is kind of the art of knowing what not to build, right? So is a team able of deploying resources effectively? And can they alleviate pain points for their customers, right? Do they um, have an you know, efficient onboarding process? What are the data integration strategies to, for example, support land and expand um, um, opportunities? Then tech is what you would probably expect from an ITDD, and that is all the hard facts, such as you know, architecture, infrastructure, we briefly talked about um, Ruby or not, or .NET or whatever, right? So which technologies are in use? Are they, you know, up to the task? We look at security. We look at um, resilience, business continuity. We look at machine learning, IP and open source, which I said in the beginning is both a legal and a tech topic, right? So there's there's a lot of conversations between the legal DD stream and us. And then lastly, engineering, people and processes. This is, is you know, agility, software development lifecycle are there any key person dependencies so if this person leaves the team you know one knows how to operate the software anymore and but also tech debt and and that's a topic i could talk about for a long time i will not bore you guys but just 
you know, very briefly, um, we're here to answer a business case profitably, right? So it's okay to take shortcuts and learn from customers. So we're big fans of taking up, you know, some sort of tech debt, but it's just, um, you need to, need to have a process in place to stay on top of that, right? Is this kind of tech, tech debt, is this shortcut really um, an abbreviation, something that allows us to accelerate, or is this something that may hinder us in the future? And, you you want to define tech debt for people listening? Sure. Of course. Um, so, so yeah, tech debt is when you take a shortcut and this is something that is um, a shortcut that may um, lead to um, potential um, gaps in the future, for example, because there you, you don't think about edge cases or you hard code something even, or there's some performance constraints if you hit a certain you know threshold of scale. And, and that's perfectly fine because it's much easier to build in the beginning, but it just, you know, you need to be aware of it. And at some point you need to probably address it and, and other types of tech that you do not. And, um, and yeah, I, and this is how we define it. And this is also how we look at it. It's, it's okay to be fast, but it's, it's, you need to be careful in the sense um, that you want to stay on top of the shortcuts that you took. Real quick though, there's no avoiding tech debt really, right? Even if you're, you don't even, sometimes you're not making, taking shortcuts purposefully necessarily right it's just the function of the business at the time and the speed at which you need to work and it, it it's it's from my perspective it's a lot of what you said but it's it can be a result of like that was the nature of the business at the time and now the business is different it's grown it's changed and so you've got to go back and update it's really update old technology uh to Absolutely. either fix something or modernize it or allow it to scale or name something else. right i guess in the end it's a it's a suboptimal solution to a problem right yeah and, and this suboptimal solution may incur interest over time and and therefore you want to take care of it um potentially possibly yeah. likely yeah. maybe even <laughs> so when you guys are doing uh your your in the tech enabled diligence that you guys have done uh and, and maybe it's in in this product diligence as well what are some of the big are, are there commonalities that you're finding in the diligence you're doing that you, you kind of go and you're like, yep, data is a huge opportunity if we're able to do X, Y, and Z, or are there a bunch of things that you guys are seeing as you go still from, from diligence to diligence, or is it really just, I know it, there's a uniqueness to every single one, but are there commonalities? Right. I mean, there sure are. And, and especially in, in private equity, and this is both for tech first and tech enabled businesses. When you look at, um, more mature businesses. Some businesses are decades old. You know, some of them maybe remain a bit um, wary of open source. So, so they have something called the "not invented here" syndrome, in the sense that um, unless we've written it ourselves, we cannot trust it, which which is wrong, right? Open source is the backbone for um, so code that was that was developed and maintained by the community of thousands of developers um, uh, globally. And um, there are companies that we've seen that just, you know, have not yet caught up to this trend. And, and this eats into their velocity, of course, and, and leads to, well, worse code that's harder to maintain at, at slower development speed. That's one thing. Um, you know, there's, we see more and more that composability of software is more important. So, so because there's, we live in an integration uh, economy, of course, right? There's specific solutions to most problems and and good companies are good at orchestrating different uh, solutions um this is again both true and sometimes even more true for tech enabled businesses because 
they, they may not even have the resources that a quote unquote tech first organization has. So they're, um, they need to be more um, creative in finding um, shortcuts. And these shortcuts may also involve, you know, finding partners, third party services, integrations you can rely on, for example. Then things such as the move to the cloud from on-premise installations, which puts a lot of pressure on teams in the sense that um, you suddenly also need to operate software, right? You don't just ship it anymore, but you need to operate it on behalf of your customers. So you need to be available for support. You need to continuously roll out updates, et cetera, et cetera. So they're, they're common themes that we have observed over the last years. But as I said, there's, of course, a degree of uniqueness to, to every deal that we do. What about... If, if I were to go into that last one a bit, uh, the last one about the cloud, uh, are you, do you guys see between US and Europe, is there a, a difference there in terms of businesses that have already moved to the cloud versus ones that are still on-prem? I would say there's not a huge difference. There's, there are large companies. Maybe, maybe we've seen a bunch of companies in the US that were um, more behind in a sense, more on-prem than in Europe, but this is also because their tech companies, just more tech companies that have been around and successful for decades, right? So uh, Europe's see. internet yeah. economy is a bit younger um, uh, in general. So so there's even the lar- there's many larger companies that have already caught you know um, joined the, the cloud train. Others you know um, in the US m- m- could be a bit more old school, but this is because they've been around maybe for forty years or so. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe regulation is also a catalyst, right? That, that we see that's a difference. So it's not necessarily cloud only, but just impacts every um, type of the business. But for example, in, the, in Germany, we have GDPR. Um, and the US, except for California, doesn't really have one um, uh, sort of unified protocol for handling um, user user um, privacy and, and data, user data, right? So um, there's certain limitations in Europe um, that, that also impact um, you know, um, technology. And Dan, how do you quantify the value of the different areas that you're talking about? So when you bring a tech diligence back to the investors beyond the sort of, you know, licenses, et cetera, the obvious um, cost areas, how do you, how do you assess the value of what you're, proposing or assessing Mm -hmm. so we've been doing this for seven years ish and we've done i want to say 250 to 300 deals all over the world so we've seen quite a bit in in various stages of maturity so we can tap into a fairly large trunk of of data ourselves in order to benchmark and then obviously there are industry-related best practices and um that's that's sort of Got, feeds into um, a rating matrix and, and framework that we have developed over time. Um, but also something that we truly care about is we want to be forward-looking because, you know, by the time you mandate a tech DD, um, the investor has invested probably months of effort in, you know, um, market analyses, talk to competitors, talk to customers. Maybe they've completed a CDD already, so the commercial um, due diligence already. Um, and so there, it's it's confirmatory, right? It's unless you guys find something truly critical, we, we want to invest. And if you find something truly critical, we want to know, is it repairable or not, right? So so we try to both qualify um, the opportunity 
um, that exists in both things that the company is good at, modes, for example, so so, so USPs, and, but also in, in shortcomings and gaps of a company. Like if you fix this, this could turn into that. Um, and we want to and quantify sort of materiality of, of the findings. So what's the potential um, revenue impact, right? So so both from a bull and a bear case perspective. So a glass half full and half half empty perspective. All right. If I were to turn to forward looking, uh, what the future holds for call it tech diligence. One of the things that I've been uh, expecting, and it's playing out a bit, is PE firms starting to build out these capabilities, even the, the ones that are buying tech-enabled companies, starting to build out operating teams that can do the diligence, the tech diligence themselves. Uh, so I guess the question is, are you guys waiting on a knock, a knock from a PE firm here soon to, to bring you guys in-house? Um, and that's that's half uh, half a joke, but also it, it, it serves as the basis for, hey, what, what are you guys seeing in terms of PE firms competing with you? I'm sure, there, as Lisa noted before, there's plenty of advisory firms out there and, and, and other firms mm-hmm. doing tech diligence. But um, are, are the PE firms, we're seeing some movement over here. Or are you seeing movement there? Uh, first of all, yes, we do. And something that uh, we really like about US funds is they have very many of them have operational teams. And that's um, a trend that's kind of coming over to Europe too, but it's still relatively new for many funds. So um, we love the fact that in the US, um, private equity funds um, um, actively guide value creation. This is not to say that European funds do not do that, um, um, of course, but this is, this is to say that there's um, more structure and more maturity in a sense. Hey, we've acquired the company, now what, right? And, and our report tries to support this in the sense that one, we, our findings are forward-looking, but two, we use proprietary software that we've built, we call it Bionic, that um, allows us to, to not only um, do our work better, but also sort of export, uh, for the lack of a better word, like value creation roadmaps. And then we present our findings to the former targets now portfolio firms in order to support them. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. I, this, did this answer your question? Yeah, I think it, it's really a function of do you see there there'll probably always be a market for external tech diligence there because certain firms just can't bring their own team in house, right? Um, I guess it, the the question is more of along the lines of just like how how um how much competition do you guys are you getting now from just in-house private uh, in-house tech diligence teams? Um, and do you see Understood. that increasing? Um, actually, no. Um, I mean, we love working with operational teams like operating partners. We have techies um, with some of our funds where the operating partners actually participate in our workshops. And we think that's great because we do, you know, again, this is confirmatory, right? So once, if we find, um, that the company is good and the, the fund wants to invest. And we learned so much in such a short amount of time that um, after the acquisition, they, they can begin with the value creation process. So it's great to have people that remain well, involved in the long term um, as part of these DD workshops. And in terms of competition um, regarding in-house DD, I mean, PE is finance deals, right? So you do LBOs and, and stuff like that. So you need, you, and, and for that, 
external advisory work and external unbiased opinions are super helpful, right? So uh, funds value um, outside in opinions. So um, I don't think there's a huge competition when it comes to in-house DD, but I very much value the fact that more and more funds um, greatly care about the results of tech DD in order to accelerate growth afterwards. I think I would totally agree with Dan. I mean, in the end, it's not a choice of the PE um, like to fully in-house every DD um, that they can, right? It's, it's almost like the external stakeholders require them to have um, um, external advisors that are independent, right? And um, therefore, I, as a lender or WI Insurance, believe that um, whatever this DD report says is true, right? So if a DD... If a um, sorry, if a, a PE would do every DD stream in house, um, then I, as a lender or WI insurance, would be a bit cautious of the findings, likely, right? So I'm, I'm I feel more comfortable um, as a lender, as an example, um, to, un, uh, to 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 lend out and, and finance this deal. If and I know McKinsey said uh, the CDD is great, market is growing, um, and stuff like that. If a le leading law firm is doing the legal due diligence, and then Uh, code and code, for example, is doing a tech and product DD instead of like an internal team of operating partners that is on the payroll of the fund is doing the um, the DD in-house and, and, and nobody else from the outside uh, is um, yeah, giving an a, um, a opinion that is um, yeah almost like very objective and not subjective to the fund and the internal um, yeah politics, for instance. So I'd like to ask um, Dan and Lucas about their experience in investors understanding and integrating what they're finding in the tech due diligence into the value creation plan or into the investment thesis. So <clears throat> what I've seen when there's three parties is a financial DD done by one party, there's a commercial DD done by another, and then tech or you know, sometimes it's ops and tech, takes very much a third position and it may not be read because it doesn't have the numbers in it that are contained within the financial and the commercial due diligence. And I've come across situations where, um, yeah, investor, investors have missed key elements that are going to be important for the value creation because this triangulation hasn't taken place. But I'd like to get your perspective. What, what's going on and, and how, do you get your, how do you get your insights to land? Um, I, think, well, I, I think it's a great question. I'm, I'm smiling because, because I think um, in the end, the beauty of our job, and this is why we feel quite, quite fortunate to be in this uh, position and in this role, is... One, tech is most of the time repairable, right? And, and even gaps, once you fix them, can, be, can become actual strength, like monetizable strength, right? And so um, there's a lot of opportunity when it comes to tech. Um, obviously, you cannot force anyone to, to, to read the report and, and grasp these opportunities. But I think the general trend is so strongly towards many, many tech themes, such as you know, on, from on-prem on to cloud, um, SaaS as a as a, um, a distribution model, but also as as a billing model, like recurring revenue, all that stuff. There's so much opportunity that people are just quite motivated to explore these topics. 
Um, and um, I think something that's also worth mentioning is um, that in general, just, you know, tech is sort of the core investment hypotheses for or many tech topics are core investment hypotheses, even for tech enabled businesses, right? Because you want to, you know, increase efficiency, pay down key personal risks and all that stuff and technology can help here. So we've seen that um, companies are actually quite keen to, or funds are quite keen to, to explore findings and um, how do we make it land? I think, first of all, our report is a product. It's, it's not, well, it's a PDF as an interface, but it's a product. So the report I can share with you guys today will be different um, to the report from last week or two weeks from now, right? So, so our software helps us here in this, in this sense too. And we try to iterate very, very quickly with the um, feedback that we get from our clients. We recently added like a, a specific overview chapter and, and more graphs to just kind of visualize the impact that we expect from our findings um, without forcing anyone to read the words, I guess, right? So it's not just like a word document with text, but it's also fairly visual. It, we iterate very quickly as a, as a living product. So I think we've heard quite often, um, which is a key metric for us is, hey, I've never read a, DD, a tech DD report before, or I've never understood these findings to, guys, this is the first, first report that I actually understood. And um, so I think it's about making it digestible. It's about um, trying to be optimistic and, and forward looking. And, and yeah, we, I think that's, that's how, would it, I, how I would answer it. Do you standardize um, the reports for P firms as well? So when you're working with one firm, it sounds like you have a, mechanism to standardize the output so that there are comparables for the investors absolutely that's quite important to us we we as a small firm we we really want to build relationships right so we have funds that do two dozen deals a year or so with us and we know what these guys are looking for and and therefore the report structure and the report findings also mirror that too so we emphasize and deprioritize specific items for specific funds. Um, and we do continue to do so as we get to know funds and their needs uh, better, right? So there's funds that care. We have funds that care so much about security. I mean, everybody should do that, right? But they care just more than others about the topic of security. So this is, if there's something that's not great, this is an immediate red flag on a board. Other funds, they care more about, I don't know, product topics, right? Um, and, and, and therefore, we try to um, configure, I guess, or customize by fund as we learn, learn about them and their needs. And then this leads to standardization, yes. Okay. And you must get pulled into value creation as well. So do you, do you go down that path or do you just stay in the diligence area? Uh, the latter, actually, we don't do value creation work. I mean, we always offer it and we never charge for that, actually, because we think um, the difference to, um, between tech and other DD streams is that the company, so that the, the company that's being assessed needs to invite us, right? They need to, you know, draw up architecture diagrams. They need to share their roadmaps with us. They need to share their internal, internal diagrams with us. So they, they need to do some work for us. So it's a Q&A and there's not much work to, that we can do from the outside. Um, and, and this means that they, we kind of almost want to give back, right? Because teams tend to be, we tend to have really good relationships with the teams too, because we're, 
you know, all relatively young and, and we're techies ourselves, you know, we're not kind of the, you know, suit wearing consultant type of guys, but we're more, you know, techies ourselves, right? So, so we, we speak their language as well. And we speak the, the funds language um, uh, too. And, and I think for both sides, it's a very constructive, uh, constructive uh, relationship. So, so after a DD, we always offer a readout and, and prepare like a value creation roadmap and, and things like that. And, um, but we don't stay involved in the long term. We're very happy to make recommendations because we have a fairly broad network of, of partners, but we wouldn't have the resources to, to stay involved in the very long term. So I just want to go back to your core team um, internally. How do you maintain the edge of your skills and um you know keep keep them up to date across all these different areas of technology and different industries how do you approach that growing your team uh, that's a great question i think um my answer would be we get paid to learn right we learn so much from every company that we audit so it's not just us auditing others but it's very much us also learning from other firms and and you know from growth stage to to companies that are public and are being taken private again so we've seen so much and every day we 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 actually had a workshop just before this call we learned about a really nice way how they onboard their 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 um, new joiners and that's something you know that we well almost take from them right that's just something that we that we benefit from too and this is this is really really important to us. Also, when we look for new colleagues, we like people that um, show excellence in, in a very healthy interest in in learning and in both tech and the commercial side of things. Because again, we're translators, right, between these two worlds. That's that's one one answer. And the second answer would be um, we use we we have invested about five or for, for the past five years, we've had a dedicated a development team working on our internal software, Bionic. Um, and this helps us spot trends, right? And this helps us spot themes, and and we can we can sort of almost generalize, and I don't want to say forecast, but we can see trends as they evolve, and this also helps us to stay up to date, if if that makes sense. Maybe something to add to that is also uh, for uh, for us uh, in the end, it's really hard to find people that are like us, right? Um, so by that I mean that have um, professional experience in both technology and or product, right? As well as um, business uh, and finance, right? So feel comfortable to be a translator between those two two worlds, which is in the end our, our profession. So we rather, uh, so we optimize uh, for quality and experience when onboarding new people, rather than just like onboarding a bunch of new um, hires without um, yeah, looking at that or not requiring this as um, as a core requirement for for joining code and co so for us it's uh, we rather we, we uh, grow slow on the people side and optimize for yeah, finding really excellent people that are also interested in uh, for instance becoming a partner at code and co right so following this boutique approach and therefore also uh, this was the reason we didn't really want to uh, grow and and, and yeah, accelerate uh, our business with freelance support because quality control and also yeah, making sure that we stay uh, on top of trends uh, is, is, is uh, for us really important. And therefore we want to make sure that almost like the quote unquote house view is always the same regardless of who's doing the DD. Um, and it's not like changing depending on who's being staffed on what project, right? So for us, it's um, this, this is key. And yeah, we try to um, 
add quality control and scalability into our business with the help of software as much as possible, um, as well as then yeah, focusing on very senior hires. Dan and Lucas, thank you very much for the insights, for being with us today. Where can folks find out more information about Code & Co? Uh, you can head to, head to our website at uh, um, codeandco.com. Um, or you can shoot us an email, first name at codeandco.com. So we Lucas or Dan at codeandco.com. And yeah, thank you so much for having us and for your questions. A pleasure, a pleasure to join you guys today. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Private Equity Technology Podcast. Please support the production of this podcast by subscribing in iTunes and leaving a review. If you want to reach out with any questions or comments, you can get me at alexagran at gmail.com. That's A-L-E-X-A-G-R-A-N.com.